name is Daniel T, and welcome to the SA Fireside Podcast. Each week, we bring you another fireside chat with an old-timer discussing the questions and topics we compiled surveying the world of SA. You can visit us on safireside.com to hear all the recordings. And if you have any questions or feedback, you can email me at daniel at safireside.com. Sexaholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength, and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop lusting and become sexually sober. There are no dues or fees for SA membership. We are self-supporting through our own contributions. SA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution, does not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sexually sober and help others to achieve sexual sobriety. It's our hope and our goal that this recording will help those old and new to the program to gain more tools that will help further their recovery. And so, without further ado, it's time to hear today's Fireside Chat. Welcome back to another Fireside Chat. Today I sat with Tony R. Tony is from the Milwaukee area and is sober since May the 8th, 1993. Tony has served in all levels of the service structure, including on the GDA for several years. Tony sponsors many in the program, from newcomers to old-timers. It was a pleasure sitting with Tony, and I am sure you're going to enjoy it. Here it is. Welcome back to another Fireside Chat. Today we have Tony joining us from Milwaukee. Hi, Tony. Thanks for joining. Hi, Daniel. Um, so, uh, it's a real pleasure to meet you. It's the first time we've met and, um, I'm looking forward to hearing your story. So like I said, uh, what it was like, what happened and what it's like now, 15 to 25 minutes. And then we'll jump into these questions that, uh, basically came from around the world of SA, um, mainly from, uh, the, the viewpoint of newcomers, but interesting for everyone to hear different points of views and, uh, different experiences on the questions. So on that note, I'll pass the mic over to you and thank you again for joining. Uh, you're welcome, Daniel. I'm Tony R., a recovering sexaholic from Franklin, Wisconsin, which is right near Milwaukee. And uh, I'm powerless over lust, over my thoughts, over my emotions. And I've been sober since May 8th, 1993. Um, I grew up in a very strong, uh, Catholic family. Um, early on, I discovered, uh, that there was a part of my body that gave me a lot of pleasure. And so at an early age, I started what we called playing with myself. I didn't even know the word masturbate existed. And, uh, I used to play with myself in order to feel satisfied even before I could ejaculate. And uh, one of the things about our home was that my father, I think, was a rageaholic. So at times it was very scary. And uh, I kind of retreat to a place in in the home where I could play with myself. I used to go to the bathroom quite a bit and not read a book, but be playing with myself. And one time my mother said, what are you doing in there? And I said, well, no, I, I'm, I'll be out in a few seconds, Mom. Well, I really felt tremendous shame in that moment. And from then on, this was my secret. Nobody's ever going to find out about this. And um, I grew up and uh, I went to a boarding school. And in the boarding school, uh, I was told that uh, this playing with yourself it's a grievous sin. And if you don't stop it, you may go mad. You may go insane. Well, that scared the hell out of me. And to be honest with you, I don't think I masturbated physically again until I was in my late 30s, early 40s. Most of my education happened in a, a male environment. Um, maybe I went to a couple of parties as an adolescent. 
and did a little bit of kissing. But that was my whole uh, active sex life. But I had a tremendous fantasy life. And uh, I used to have my little box with uh, all my uh, uh, pinups. They weren't anywhere near what you got today. I, some came out of catalogs or uh, advertisements for movies or some of the comics. And, and yet, I can tell you this, I had the same hit on those as people have in pornography today. And um, so things went on and, uh, you know, I, I certainly lived a, a, a great deal of fantasy. I mean, I, I started doing a little bit of voyeurism as I was getting older. Um, and uh, I remember, you know, I did a lot of walking around uh, where prostitutes might be, not getting involved with them, but kind of getting a high just off the fact that what they were trying to do. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I just didn't feel uh, the freedom yet to explore more. And once I finished my education and my, I was ready to start my career, all evaluations were done, that's when I felt free. And what happened basically was I started out with a lot of looking, went to places where I could see women uh, in provocative ways. Uh, the next thing was I kind of began to talk with some of them, began to, you know, get cozy with them. Uh, first of all, you know, kissing, necking, petting, and then getting more involved with them sexually. And that went on for a long time. and. Uh, I remember telling a friend one day who knew something about what I would, about my problem that I wish I had something that alcoholics had because I didn't know anything about the S programs and um, had a lot of good therapy. Uh, therapy helped me to come to a lot of awareness. Uh, it helped me to, to, to deal with some things that were important in life, but it didn't stop the addiction. In fact, my therapist finally got totally frustrated because she thought that maybe because I didn't have an active sex life earlier on in my 40s, I was trying to sow my oats, but that, that wasn't the issue. The issue was I was an addict. And um, she finally gave up on me and says, you need to go see somebody that knows something about addiction. So there's a famous uh, American who did a lot of work uh, on uh, recovery. I can't even think of his name right now. He's a Canadian. And he ran a center in Houston. So I called, and the only thing I got was a message from him about all the books he wrote. Uh, but finally, I did make an appointment with one of the therapists there, and uh, we sat down. He told me his story, and click. Automatically, it just, I just saw, that's me. I'm hearing all about me. And I really tried to get going with the program. I, I went to meetings. Uh, I even left the place where I was working to go to a, on a sabbatical. And I came back for three or four days so I could go to a special workshop they were having in, in this uh, person's uh, organization for addiction. And uh, even when I was in sabbatical, I used to travel like 90 miles uh, a week in order to go to a meeting. And again, I have to say this. Uh, I was learning. I was really, you know, beginning to even talk the talk, but really walk the walk wasn't happening. You know, and again, I think for the most part, I was thinking, this is self-help. You know, I just have to try to do some of these things and, you know, I, I can leave and go on my life. So it took me a while to, to realize that it doesn't work that way. It ain't working. And uh, finally, when I got to, um, the Milwaukee area where I've been for the last 30 years, um, I got involved with the uh, SA program. And uh, for a while there, I was trying to do it on my own. Finally got to the point where uh, I needed a sponsor. And uh, I was a slow learner. Um, I started in 1988. And, I, and my, my uh, sobriety date is 1993. During those five years, I had 90 days a couple of times. I did several 90-90s. I remember I did a lot of travel. So I had to, I, I used to send a postcard every day to my sponsor making a commitment. And, you know, I was having some success, but um, I think a lot of it was really willpower and a lot of it was white knuckling. 
and I thought to myself, man, is this thing ever going to leave me? And uh, I still remember in 1993, that, that day in May, the weekend before, I was on a binge. And I came back and I said, I got to tell my sponsor about this. So I did. And he did not commiserate with me. He just said to me, there's a gathering today for someone who's leaving Milwaukee. Go to that gathering and go to the meeting tonight. And for some odd reason, I started listening to him and following his directions and uh, started really getting to a lot of meetings, three, four a week, uh, even participated in a book study program after we had our regular meeting. So I really went gun ho and uh, did a lot of work on the steps, especially checking in with my sponsor almost every day and uh, making a commitment to him to stay sober and uh, slowly but surely, uh, more and more days of sobriety. I mean, for me, a day at a time is so important even today. And uh, after getting into sobriety, there's a certain uh, moment when I came to a new awareness. For me, for a long time, I forget about the latter part of the uh, definition. Progressive victory over lust. I was having victory over not acting out. But man, my head still and heart still had so much less than it at times. And uh, what happened was one of the guys who's my sponsor now, well-known in SA from the Milwaukee area, he had this awakening. And after I heard his awakening, then, then it, it registered for me as well. So I have to give a lot of credit to my sponsor for helping me realize that I had the same thing going on in me that was going on in him. and. Uh, I, you know, I began to do some service. Uh, I've been uh, uh, regional uh, secretary. I was also on the uh, GDA for a couple of years and treasurer many times. And uh, I do a lot of sponsorship. And I've got people that are new to the program, people that are, you know, struggling for a number of years now, still slipping. I have some people who've got, you know, long-term sobriety. For me, what's important is that helps my program when I'm willing to share for my hope with others. And uh, there's many people that, that I've talked to, spent hours with, spent months with. They're no longer around, and I'm hoping they're okay. But they help, even those people, helped me in my program. So service is very important to me. And uh, um I, I, you know, I, I can, I don't know how I could accent it more. Um, a couple of things to finish up. Um, we talk about awakening, and uh, I think awakening for me has been been kind of ongoing. One of the biggest breakthroughs I had. I was in a group for sex addicts with uh, two therapists. And I had been talking an awful lot about powerlessness. You know, I was keep, I kept slip, slipping, slipping on powerless, slipping, slipping on powerless. Well, one of the counselors who was not a sex addict, but an, eight, an alcoholic, said to me, Tony, you don't know a damn thing about powerlessness. You are helpless. And no, that realization um, for me was important that, uh, Helplessness is so often what I was doing, not really admitting my powerlessness. And now, uh, for me, I, I understand what that means. I, I mean, I have to kind of not fight all these temptations. Now, just to be honest with you, as I prepared for this um, talk, a lot of euphoric recall came back. And I had to, you know, just stop, <laughs> recognize it, and let it go. Ask my higher power to take it. And um, for me, uh, the steps have become kind of a way of life. Uh, that, that last part of the 12, of the 12 step, I, I really know I believe it, believe it now. And what I also found out is I thought at, at a moment, you know, I'm going to be struggling all my life with this damn thing. Well, the promises come. They really do. The addiction doesn't go away. But my way of dealing with it is very different. And I do have a much better life. And I'm so appreciative of that. And 
you know, I, I can let you know I've got some serious health issues. I have some dysfunction in my family. I have a brother who has dementia, who my sister-in-law will not allow me to go see. I mean, I've had weddings where I'm the only person on a certain uh, of the family. Other people don't come. Well, in the old days, I would have been acting out like mad with all that stuff going on. And uh, I don't. I, I can deal with it differently now. Those things haven't changed, but but I've changed. And uh, it's all due to the steps. It's all due to the relying on my higher power. It's all due to being honest and open and connecting. Connecting is the big thing for me, connecting with other people. Because I found out is once you start recovery and the addiction is no longer there, there's kind of a hole. And you got to fill that up with something. And, and to me, connections are, are the way I fill it, up, fill it up very often. It's, you know, I can connect through a book, a movie. I can connect through a conversation. I can connect with having supper with someone. These are all ways for me to connect. And uh, that helps me have something in place now where that addiction used to be. So again, uh, that's pretty much my story. And uh, I'm sure Daniel will have some questions. And I, I thank you all for uh, this opportunity. And I hope that uh, you've got something out of it. Well, thank you so much, Tony. Um, it definitely related to the early part. Um, a lot of masturbation before I could even orgasm. And uh, and it, it turning into voyeurism. Um, and uh, it's yeah, you you touched on a few of the topics that we're going to touch upon later, and we'll we'll retouch on those and see see what else we can hear. Um, the first, uh, as I mentioned, so we have these questions that basically a, a while ago I surveyed the world of SA, and a lot of them are, uh, you know, are, are around the newcomer and the newcomer's experience in the group. And one of the first questions, a, a big question that came up, uh, and by the way, I also I loved how you you touched upon something which. Um, which Harvey talks about a lot as well, which is that the the you know the stop the stopping the acting out is kind of only a, a small part of it, but the the progressive victory over lust is mm-hmm. really where 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 the um the wheels hit the the tires hit the ground, <laughs> and and the question is around this thing called lust. What is lust? Most people walk in on day one and they have no idea that they're about to find out that lust is their problem. So the question is, what is lust for you? How do you understand lust for yourself? And how do you explain for yourself that you're powerless over it? How, how does it manifest and what is it for you? For me, it's, it's um, something that drives me towards uh, getting what I want. Um, and for me, it, it it manifests itself an awful lot in you know sexual acting out, uh, or you know a lot of fantasizing. Um, but for me, it seems to be that there's something in me that drives me to being satisfied, being relieved, being calm, and um, for me. I've identified it an awful lot with the sexual. You know, I, I also think at times uh, eating can be a difficulty for me as well. But they're always it's a driving me to somehow uh, be fulfilled. But it doesn't work. It's not it's not really real to do that. I think maybe the other thing I'm saying, you know, again, this might be something for newcomers that have to take time to understand. I think. It's not lust, but deep within me is emptiness, a hole. And lust is a way for me to try to fill that up. And yet, I really think it's a hunger for my higher power. It's a hunger for God. And that helps me realize more and more that that's the way I need to go. The steps, the program, accountability, commitment. Uh, those are the things that are going to give me what I'm really looking for. So that lust, I won't go with lust. I'll go with the, these other things that are life-giving. Yes, I, I, I actually learned, uh, and I kind of connect to that, that the, the lust prior to recovery is actually a spiritual experience for us. That's how we, that's how we actually get that connection. We're searching for that connection. Um, we don't know any other way of getting it other than the lust um, and acting out. So, 
the newcomer walks into the room and he um, has this idea in his head that he's different from everyone else. Um, nobody's done the things he's done or nothing has worked that terminal uniqueness. I'm sure you've seen it a few times over the years. Um, what do you say to that guy? Well, what I would tell him is, you know, I think, um, I often thought that, especially because of the, uh, career I had and, uh, how, um, how could I, you know, other people aren't that way, you know, they can't be the way, you know, I, um, cause I never knew people like myself. Uh, and yet there might've been all kind of people like myself, but we never knew what each other was. Um, I felt at times, um, when I started, uh, shame, uh, I was, I wasn't always able to tell somebody about a slip till a few days later. Um, you know, I, I think it's kind of normal for us as we begin to to realize, yeah, nobody could be like me. Nobody could be that bad. And um, I think what helped me was, as I heard other people being vulnerable, I, I all of a sudden realized, you know, we're all on the same boat. You know, we're on the same journey. We have a lot of things we can identify with one another. I mean, there's not a meeting I go to where I can't just shake my head and say, this guy is saying exactly what's going on in me or what's going on in me. So, Yes, absolutely. And, um, and, and the thing is that um, that's the beauty of, of the fellowship and the beauty of going to these meetings is, and meeting each other um, in in the the face to face with our with our diseases is that we can relate basically you know once we get past the differences um, mm -hmm. and look for the similarities we can relate to so much um you know even if it's a a catholic dude one side of the world and a jewish dude on the that's other right. side of the world that's right we can, we can um, relate. exactly so what so they buy it i buy it for sure what do I got to do to get sober? What's what? What's my plan on day one? What should I do to get sober? What's the plan? Took me a while to get that. <laughs> I think I hit my head against the wall a number of times. Uh, it kind of you've got to make a decision to listen and learn, and it's important that you learn from somebody who's who's on that road on that journey maybe a little bit ahead of you um until i did that you know i'm not saying that the program wasn't worthwhile you know it, it helped me in many ways and i didn't act out as badly sometimes uh, because i was going to those meetings uh but until i got to the point to say i can't do this on my own i need to listen and learn from somebody who's on the journey, who's a little bit ahead of me. And that's really the whole point is that we always thought we could do it alone. Um, mm -hmm. And that's the we program. Uh, what about the guy, and you have experience with this as you shared in your story that keeps relapsing. What kind of advice can we give him suggestions? Yeah, I, you know, I'm grateful to my higher power that even though I gave up for about six months, there there was something in me that said, keep going. And um, that, that's what I would say to somebody who slips, you know, don't, don't give up. Uh, it's important to, as best you can, acknowledge the slip uh, and learn from it if you can, and uh, listen to what your sponsor and what others in the program who might be experiencing similar things to you, how they deal with it. And um, I tell them, you know, you, you need to do a lot of talking with guys in the program, especially when you feel tempted. You know, we tend to call the sponsor after we slip. No, call them before you slip. Uh, those are all things that, that will help you. Uh, 
Uh, and again, the big thing is uh, that I would say to them, you know, it's not easy. It's a simple program, but it's difficult. So don't give up because we're not giving up on you. And what about withdrawal? Any suggestions for someone who's going through a heavy withdrawal in the beginning? Well, for me, it meant a lot of uh, a lot of meetings, uh, reading, um, you know, you know, I think if you can share that in meetings or with your sponsor, you'll find that there's a lot of support there. People are not, you know, condoning what you're, what's happened or, or, or telling you, well, you know, uh, don't worry about it. No, uh, but they're going to be empathetic. And uh, maybe they'll share with you what they've gone through themselves. And that, is, that in itself can be a help. Uh, but to me, it's, it's you, you got to hang into the fellowship pretty, pretty strongly, whether it's meetings or talking to your sponsor, talking to people you check in with, um, reading. Uh, bombard yourself with things of the program. I mean, that, that's, but don't give up. Moving on to the first step, um, and prior to that part, uh, am I a bad person? <laughs> no, I'm not a bad person. But I, I think I'm a person that has, that, that that that's ashamed of things. Um, so if you think that being ashamed of things makes you bad, I guess. But I don't remember, you know, ever saying to myself, you know, you're just bad, you know, you know, God might might as well just throw you away. God must have just not created you. No, I've never felt that 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 badly. But shame, yeah, shame. A lot of that. Right. The whole thing about shame is that shame says that I'm a bad person, right? And guilt says that I did bad things. Yeah. Um, and, and shame can be toxic. Oh, yeah, very much so. I think most people pretty much get powerlessness. Um, and a lot of people have a difficulty with unmanageability. How do you understand unmanageability? Well, to me, um, it, it means um, getting into trouble. Um, whether it means that somehow uh, I'm missing uh, missing things in my relationships. Uh, or, uh, you know, I, I'm uh, procrastinating to the end and, uh, you know, things aren't as uh, done as well as, as they should be. Uh, and um, my mind, yeah, the other thing is the, the mind is, is not in the present moment. Uh, there were days when uh, all day long I had uh, thoughts images the day ends at five o'clock where do i want to go tonight i mean that stuff was in my mind you know, I, you know even in moments when i was doing something public um it was hard to keep my eyes off of certain people in, in the audience um these are all the ways that and again did i think i was uh, life wasn't unmanageable no i thought it, i was managing but the reality was it wasn't and uh, or you know you you uh, you feel badly because you didn't necessarily uh, visit your parents when you had a chance. I mean, or you know, uh, I remember sometimes being at home with my parents and, and, and going away for three or four hours. And my mother, being a warrior, was going, "Where the hell is he?" You know, and uh, so there's there's a lot of and again uh, in my addiction, <laughs> I never thought life was unmanageable, but I think as I began to reflect on, I got something wrong. I got and I got to do some. Got to find a way of getting better with this whole thing. And you realize that there's a lot going on now. But uh, 
life can be un- unmanageable. And if you know, if I get into a lot of uh, anxiety and stuff, I can really, uh, uh, if I don't deal with it, uh, life can get all screwed up again. And uh, not that I that I act out on that, but you know, but you know, certainly allow some things to come in, you know, that uh, that wouldn't come in if I was more in touch with life in the present moment. To me, it's the present moment that that we have to stay in. Because if we're in the present moment, then we'll manage life. I mean, I, I can't get over how I can handle things today. No way in the past could I have handled. You know, about a year ago, I was diagnosed with having heart failure. I mean, I'd have gone nuts. Now, I have to say that, you know, my higher power has blessed me with wonderful physicians, uh, you know, and uh, cardiologists, like a physiologist, and uh, these men care an awful lot about me. I know them for a long, long time. Uh, so there's a lot of things in my life I can appreciate now that help me get through this. And, and I'm convinced that it's God, my higher power. And... Uh, or the family stuff, you know, my sister I'm very close to, and uh, uh, she goes through her spells of ups and downs, but, you know, she 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 often calls us, how you doing? You know, and, and that call means an awful lot. It keeps me going with uh, the things in my family that, that I still struggle with and have to accept that some things aren't going to happen. And, uh, I mean, I really looked at the scenario that I may find out about my brother's death until somebody tells me about an obituary. I mean, that, that's how the reality out there is. But I'm living with it. In fact, I have, at times, I have tremendous empathy for my sister-in-law because her significant other is, is, is deteriorating. And he, she's not, she has no siblings. She's an only child. She's been with them for 48 years. You know, and, uh, and I have empathy for her, which is different because... Um, I have a way of life that the steps have given me. Thanks for sharing that. Um, I definitely relate to the unmanageability becoming clearer as my foggy brain cleared. Total Mm -hmm. denial at the beginning. Mm -hmm. Um, And what about the allergy? How do you understand the allergy? (laughs) I had no idea of an allergy until I started listening to uh, tapes by Joe and Charlie. And yet, if you read uh, the doctor's uh, doctor's view, you know, it's, it's there, but, you know, nobody, it's amazing that, you know, yeah, I, you know, I know this, that, um, There are times when I've been in situations where there's a lot of objective things out there that my antenna can go to. And uh, even though, you know, I, I spend that time in, with that, that environment, when I get out of it, it's like I got hay fever. And it takes a while for me to let that go. And I, and I think it's, you know, and again, you know, I, I know that um, early on, uh, I had no control. I mean, I could spot something and boom. Uh, I kept saying this, that, and I still think to this day, I'm wired with an antenna that can find lustful objects anyplace. And, um, uh, just like, you know, um, I was allergic to uh, a couple of things when I was down in Texas. And, uh, you know, you sneeze, you cough. And uh, so when, I, when, when I'm uh, impacted with some lust, I, you know, I, I, uh, I know that this is like something that, that I have to deal with. And I, take, I need to take some medicine for it because it'll, it'll overwhelm me. But... Uh, I believe that. I believe it's, you know, we don't, I don't have a bottle, but I have a lot of other stuff that uh, 
can bring out the lust, bring up the lust. So another question that baffles a lot of newcomers is this concept of surrender. What is surrender? What 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 does it look like, especially for many of us who are fighting this for so many years? What, what is it? How does it look like? And what does it look like for you? It's um, letting go, uh, not fighting it, but trying to give it over to God, my higher power. Uh, sometimes for me, it means sitting down and writing. With the idea of get it out in the light and let it go. Uh, it may be a call to someone. Uh, the word that early on, um, I was blessed to have a spiritual guide who herself was recovering from eating disorder. So she knew the steps very well. And uh, there is in uh, Catholic spirituality, uh, a man by the name of Ignatius Loyola. Uh, and uh, what he says, which I found very important and, and helped me to realize what uh, surrender is. He says, if you, if you need something or want something from God, then ask God for it. Ask him for it directly. So I was told by my guide, pray for willingness, Tony. Just pray for willingness. and. Um, Willingness to me is all about surrender. If I if I can be willing, then I can let it go. And uh, the other thing about surrender that it took a little while for me to accept this, I can't determine the outcome. I can surrender everything, and yet I can't determine the outcome. I can surrender, you know, my my anger at times at my sister-in-law, but does it make any difference? Is it going to change her mind? Uh, I have no, I have no, but I don't give up. I still have hope. Uh, but outcome, you know, says to me something about what surrender means as well, because it's easy for me to surrender, you know, but still want God to give me what I want, you know, and, uh, you know, I'll be, I'll be sober, stay in recovery, but please God, let me go see my brother. Well, and yet, when I let go, I find out that I have a lot of care and concern in me towards those people. And uh, it, again, you know, when you when you when you when you learn surrender, you just know it. It happens, and uh, takes a lot a lot a lot of learn takes a long time. Because I think for so long we can keep fighting, white knifling, and then we find out something 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 works very different. What's helped you to stay away from getting complacent in the past thirty plus years? Usually, what happens is I get I fall on my butt or get a kick in the butt. Um, Sometimes it, it, it happened when I uh, coasted and um, thought maybe I can get away with a little bit of looking and uh, found out how, how quickly I can get back into more and more and more and more and uh, uh, all of a sudden realize that's not the way to go. It, it usually, it, it means then talking to my sponsor and probably putting some more things in my program that uh, are going to get me out of coasting and get me back into being uh, uh, rigorously honest. Like there are times when I've been on uh, my computer, Facebook, or you know some some other pages with dating things and. Uh, uh, I got my, you know, I, I, I get caught in some of that stuff. And uh, what I've done oftentimes with my sponsors, I start bookending. What am I going on my, 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 my computer for? 
to to do to do some emails. Okay, that's what you're there for. And, and when I finish and get off the computer, I do the same thing. I have to I have to bookend. And you know, once I see and if you through all this stuff, I don't stay necessarily with the bookend after that. But when it comes up again, I got to get back to some things. And uh, the other thing I think that 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 helps me an awful lot is you know. Going to meetings and and uh, listening because uh, I don't know if there's a meeting I've ever gone to where not something didn't click, you know, to to to, to help me with my program. Um, but uh, yeah, but I you know I've had those moments of coasting, and uh, the and, and it's very easy to get off track and get on get into some trouble again. And uh, uh, fortunately, you know, I, I I'm, I'm appreciative that that things happen that. I could keep my sobriety. And again, I think there's times when we sex addicts are like our sex drunks. We've got book sobriety, yet we're not we're not totally in recovery. And uh, so I think there's a lot in that whole area of, of us at times being sex drunks. Dry, dry sex drunks put it that way, but uh, the same concept that I think alcoholics talk about. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And we're also going to touch on that uh, in a short while. Uh, before that, what, what have you learned about healthy relationships? What I've learned, this is something new. Um, Bill W. at the ends of his life talked about what he called emotional sobriety. And um, it took a long time for me to realize, you know, am I, in re- am I in a relationship because I need something that person can give me? I'm needy. And uh, that's what I've learned, that if I'm in a relationship because I'm needy, I better step back, take a look. The other thing that, 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 that I realize this is that love is different than sex. In love... You all, I all of a sudden am not concentrating on myself, but I'm really concentrating on the other person. What does that person need? What does that person want? Is that person not in the same place where I am? You know, my, my, the key there to me is that love means I set myself aside and the person becomes what is most most important for me in that, in that moment. And uh, I know for me, sometimes it's been very difficult to not have a good woman friend. Um, and I have not, you know, I've never acted out with women friends. I, I've, I've gone afterwards and acted out, but, uh, but um, they're all different uh, relationships. I, I think the last one I had was one that I think, I had more of experience of loving. The first one I ever had, person died, so that um, that went that way. And um, but again, um, I, you know what, what I'm saying is that I think um, basically it, it, it's it's the um, letting go of my needs and dwelling on the other person. And just trying to be there for that person, not try to fix that person, but be there, be a companion. And uh, that's about what I would say. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, trying to fix is one of my uh, one of my big defects. Oh yeah. Um, can you talk a little? Sorry. Yeah, I think 
I think it's part of our uh, part of our wiring as uh, as addicts that we want to fix, especially with women. And women are so so often women aren't interested in getting fixed. They just want somebody to listen to them. So it's been good to realize that, especially with my sister. You know, so a few of the women that I've known too. Anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Um, can you talk a little bit about your relationship with your higher power, how you experience that, how you experience that relationship with him? Okay. As you understand him? Recently, I, I'm getting more and more confirmation about what I really believe. Um, I really believe that deep within me, at my core. My higher power is present there. For me, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's God. Most of the time it's who I believe is the son of God, Jesus. Um, not that, that, not that I you know, articulate that all the time, but the, the real thing to me that's most important is deep within me. And again, that's why meditation um, is so important, as we see in the in the eleventh step. Uh, you, you, the presence is there, but you know I got too much noise, and if I can get rid of the noise, uh, something really powerful happens. You know, and, and you know maybe it lasts two or three minutes, maybe it lasts. I go back to it over and over in a day, but it's um, kind of where it's like, you know, I'm ready. I'm ready to go and connect and be with this experience forever. Uh, that to me is, uh, and again, um, I don't know about you, but there's signs when I get up out of bed sometimes say, I'll say, Jesus, help me today. Uh, and, and, uh, and, you know, and, and when there's things that are difficult, you know, you know, just take those, uh, take those also to uh, that person. And, uh, but again, uh, what, 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 I guess the other thing is my higher power, I witness in people as well. I, I witness it in the fellowship. I witness it sometimes with my sponsor. To me, um, that was one of the great breakthroughs for me, for God to be a higher power. I mean, that didn't, that didn't come up at all in my, in, in, in my Catholic Christian upbringing. You know? But man, thank heavens, I got it. Because uh, it changed, changes my life totally. Yeah. And I really think it has a lot to do with that. All of us are hungering deep down for someone, something beyond ourselves. Where with all human creatures, we, and even, even, even with uh, animals and everything else, I mean, I really believe that, uh, that there's something that brings us all together and shows our. Uh, our, our uniqueness, our unity. And you mentioned a little bit uh, in your introduction uh, about a spiritual awakening. How do you experience a spiritual awakening on a daily basis? Or do you have any stories that really show that spiritual awakening for you as you understand it, that spiritual experience? Well, as I said, um, to me, awakening doesn't happen just one. I mean, it's a process to me. Uh, and, um, I, I, you know, for some odd reason, I, I think uh, hearing a, a sex addict story uh, was an awakening for me. Uh, I said to myself, that's, that's me. Uh, 
I think another awakening for me was when somebody told me, you know, you know, I, I thought I knew all about powerlessness, but I really didn't. I was continuing to be helpless. And uh, I think the next awakening was for me to hear my sponsor, who he was not my sponsor then, talk about a new awareness that it's not just staying away from acting out, but it's progressive victory over this thing that drives our acting out, lust. Because, you know, because, you know, before that, you know, I was, you know, really working hard at not acting out, but there was still so much lust floating around. It was coming out in different, different ways. So, um, that also was a, another awakening. And I think the more recent awakening for me is this whole thing of emotional sobriety. Uh, I'm finding out that I don't have to go, I don't have to get needy so I can go some, to, to connect with some woman. If, if there's going to be connections, let them happen naturally. And uh, um, what's in store for me as I go on, I don't know. There might be another one tomorrow. But, but to me, they're, they're just, and, and I don't realize it until after it's happened. And I think through it all, uh, I'm more convinced uh, that the steps are my way of life. And uh, a companion that I have on my journey is my higher power. In the fellowship. I mean, that's the way I can talk about define it. Thanks, and uh, we're also going to come to the steps shortly. And for me, I think you know the thing that keeps me coming back, aside from the obvious, is that search for emotional sobriety, which, which is really that relationship sobriety, that lack of that that letting go of the neediness. So I relate so much yeah. to that. Yeah. Um, and let's touch a, a little bit again on um, the difference between sobriety and recovery. What? How, how do you see the difference? Sobriety tells you know. Sobriety for me is refraining to do anything sexually with. Uh, well, because I'm celibate. Um, just, just refraining from any sexual activity, genital. Um, recovery means um, a life uh, which gives me um, energy, uh, desire to go forward. Uh, satisfaction, sometimes healing. Uh, I guess recovery means kind of, for me, it, it, it's the growing up part of, of the program, the growing up part. I'm growing, maturing, becoming the person that my higher power wants me to be. Uh, that's what recovery means to me. And uh, sobriety means, you know, well, not acting out sexually. And also not lusting. That's what sobriety means. And then recovery is a whole lot more. Right. And talking about the steps. So how do you understand the steps as a, uh, as a body of principles? Um, not, not, each step in turn, but in the big picture, how, what is the magic of the steps? How do you, especially someone walking in steps, 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 what is these steps thing? How do you understand it? How could you explain it? What, what is the magic of the steps? Well, for me, um, admitting that I can't do things on my own with my own resources. Uh, I need more than me. And um, 
that's how this journey of the steps begins for me. And uh, at a certain point, you know, um, take a look at my life and see where it is that uh, I've screwed up, especially uh, with people that I might resent or fears that are just totally off the board. And of course, being a sex addict, that whole issue of my sexuality and how I, how I express it. Um, and, you know, I'm telling somebody about that. Well, but, but then um, a lot of defects came up. And uh, if I want to move on, uh, I better look at those defects and uh, see how I can, uh, with the help of my higher power, with the help of my sponsor, with the help of people in the program, uh, give give away. Um, and sometimes they've got to give them away a hundred times because they come back. Uh, and sometimes I realize, you know, there's another side of this. There's a positive side of, of your uh, anger. Uh, you know, uh, when you really care about something, you really do have a lot of energy you know, and go forth. And, uh, um, and of course, then, um, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I've hurt people. I've hurt myself and uh, I got to make amends. And, and again, you know, I've told people that, you know, I'm sorry for what I did. Oftentimes, people aren't even worried about what you did. Other times, people appreciate what you're, you're making amends. And sometimes people, they don't care. Uh, as far as they're concerned, you're still the asshole you were. And, uh, you know, and the 10 steps important. The 10 steps sums it all up. I mean, I got it. And, and to me, I think um, the 11 steps it says an awful lot about you can develop a spirituality. So it's, it's, it's the spiritual part of the program comes out very clearly. And, uh, you know, the 12th step for me has got two things to it. You, you share it, but also it becomes part of your way of life. And uh, I don't know whether that, that that's my way of explaining it, put it that way. So is the root of my issue selfishness and self-centeredness? Is it self? Is it ego? What's the real root of my problem? The word I like to use is self-absorption. You know, all the only the only thing important is me. And um, I can look back, and you know, I mean, there's so many times when that that was operative. So many times. Yeah, it's ego, you know, it's it's all those things wrapped up. Yeah, ego, yeah, I, my ego's the best. But self-absorption, I think, is a word that really hits me between the eyes. Everything's take, I taken, uh, everything is taken in. I'm the most important. And as I age, it's interesting, as you age, relationships change, human family. I'm not talking about the dysfunctional parts. But, you know, nieces and nephews that I used to, you know, have a great time with, you know, and uh, uh, they're always looking for Uncle Pet. And, uh, you know, they're older. I get to, they're getting married. They get their own relationships. And, uh, so it's changed. You know? And I'm not, you know, I'm not brought into things like I was before. And so that's, but it's okay. It's life. And uh, I can, you know, uh, I can still go on, you know, and. Uh, and then if I need connections, got to find them some other ways. And you, you, you try to do that. So, um, Of course, the real connection that we get in the program with our fellows. Oh, yeah. Big time. Big time. What's the kind of thing I should share about in meetings? What, what again? In meetings, what should I share about? I would start with, uh, you know, not 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 accomplishment, 
I start with the weakness, you know, um, and then show how, uh, you know, I've been able to move on. Um, I like to, you know, for me, I, I, if I can, I want to share from experience, not just from uh, thoughts. I mean, that's my way of doing it. Some people are very good, you know, sharing thoughts. Uh, you know that that that's me, and uh, I think that's that's a gift that took me a long time to accept uh, vulnerability and uh, just try to be where I am. Uh, and the programs helped me to to realize that I can be on the inside and the outside when I'm on the, on the inside, and uh, that's probably the the key to share what's on the inside, outside, and it may be thoughts that have a lot of significance for it. And they may just be feelings or events, experience. And I think for newcomers, you know, I'd say, you know, just take a risk and try to feel, you know, some courage, trust in these people that are in the room with you. Because I know that until until I can until I got to the point where I could say exactly what happened, uh, don't don't close it with any uh, or finesse it. Just just say something. Yeah, last night I went to a bar and uh, had a couple of drinks with a woman, and we went in the back and had sex. Um, not that you know. Well. Easier said than done, but at least you know, encourage people to try to bring what's inside outside. And, uh, that takes courage and takes a risk, and it doesn't happen just all all, all of a sudden. So we're going to end with three questions. Um, the first one: What is the most important thing for you in the program? most important thing for the for me in the program is the start of my day and it's really basically the first three steps and um, the other thing that's important for me in the program is to realize that today is what's important not yesterday not tomorrow but today you know, people talk about, you know, we have a reprieve. And if we have a reprieve, then we need to do some positive life-giving things. Um, but to me, and I said it, and said it to a lot of my sponsees, you know, a day at a time. And, uh, you know, when, whenever I give my uh, presentation, I just say, you know, you and I, Daniel, we have the same amount of sobriety right now. And the, the 30 years, 20 years, 15 years, five years, that's secondary. That's, that's to me, is it's an important thing in the program. Um, I find that also humbling. Um, and now you mentioned in your opening talk about the promises coming true, but the, I think you were talking about the 10-step promises of not being affected by lust. But what about the 12 promises that we, the famous 12 promises, have they come true in your life? Well, I handle things a lot differently than I did before. That's the big one for me. Um, yeah, you know, I, you know, my memory isn't as good as it used to be, so I can't remember them all, but, uh, you know, the biggest one for me is just doing things so differently. Financial, I'm okay. You know, I used to have some issues with finances because of commitment I have as a religious, but you know, I'm, I'm okay with that now. And my, my whole philosophy of, of, of finances is, uh, you know, I'm not self-observed. I'm, I want to share. I want to uh, take what I have and, and share it with others. So I don't, if I have money, I don't have a problem <clears throat> getting tickets for uh, uh, basketball. 
and, and maybe I'll go to two or three games, and yet there were ten or twelve games. So other people went, you know, and uh, uh, some some people I live with would think that's terrible. Well, but that's fine. But for me, uh, and those are things I wouldn't have done before. You know, it, it was it wasn't part of my upbringing. So there's a lot of things, you know, I, there's a lot of things that, that I'm doing that I'm doing differently than I did before, and it, it works a whole lot better. And finally, what's the biggest gift that you've received in your recovery in SA? You know, I think um, the biggest gift that I've gotten in my recovery is a realization that I can be the person my higher power made me to be. There's flaws. Uh, there's there's gifts. Um, there's people. And um, it's just so wonderful to connect with God, but then connect with uh, men in the fellowship. I mean, there's some meetings that I've been at that, you know, we, we've shared at a, at a level which uh, not sure. Knock your shoes off. Um, and men. We've had some very open, honest meetings about our sexual lives. And uh, I think for me, as I see younger men, uh, married men, and um, their witness uh, is, is, is a wonderful encouragement to me to, to live out my, my call. Um, that's kind of what you know, comes to mind. Well, I want to thank you so much, Tony, for joining us today and uh, for being willing to share your story and um, I gained an immense amount from it and from meeting you. So thank you. You're welcome, Dan. It's a pleasure to meet you as well. And thank you for the questions. They're good. Thank you for listening to today's SA Fireside Chat. We hope you've enjoyed listening and gained as much as we have producing. Anything you've heard on this podcast is strictly the opinion of the individual speaker. The principles of SA are found in our 12 steps and 12 traditions. If you have any questions you would like to pose to today's speaker or a burning desire to reach out to them, you can write to me at daniel at safefireside.com. Remember, SA is self-supporting through its own contributions. You can donate to Seventh Tradition by going to sa.org forward slash donate. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast or visit safefireside.com to hear all the previous Fireside chats as well as the future ones as soon as they're released. May God bless you and keep you until then.